Well, Valentine's Day on a Sunday, that's rare, isn't it? And so single ladies, the very least, you have a date with Jesus, right? So that's good. And that's not the very least. That's the best thing you could have, right? So uh, Becky and I, my wife and I had our, our hot date on Friday, which I'm glad we did that because she's not here because she is sick as a dog, and so pray for her. Uh, but the way we do it is we go on a date ourselves, a day that's not Valentine's Day, and then uh, on Valentine's Day, what I do is I give uh, one of my boys my debit card, and I say, go take mom out on a date. And so this year, it's Lucas' turn, and he's going to take his mom out on a date, while Isaiah gets his little sister, and he gets to bring her out, and I chauffeur, and I chaperone, and uh, I call it How to Treat a Lady Right Training. And we do that every year, and it's just been an awesome tradition that we do and uh, teach them how to open the doors and how to treat a lady, and uh, they get to pay for it, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And so they love it, and uh, this year, Luca gets mom, Isaiah gets his sister. So, uh, hey, every now and again, I make it my prerogative to abuse the pulpit and to get a song stuck in your head. And so I thought I would open up that way again since it's Valentine's Day, and I'm going to bring you way, way back to 1996. Quit playing games with my heart. With my heart. With by the Backstreet Boys. The Backstreet Boys. So you mad at me? It's gonna be in your head. You're gonna be singing it all day long, and then that'll be a win for me. So I'm not really abusing the pulpit. Think of it this way: I'm giving you a soundtrack for your Valentine's Day. Some of you are like, "Yes, he's messing with me," or "She's messing with me," playing games with my heart, and you can just you can just sing it. Quit it. Quit playing games with my heart. So uh, this Valentine's Day, I'm calling the sermon Playing with God. That's where we're going this morning, playing with God. Are you just playing with God? You're just kind of playing around, stringing him along? You're not serious? You're leading him on, so to speak? Check it out with me. Luke chapter 20 is where we're going to be this morning. If you'd like to head on over there on your device or uh, on your paper Bible, or up on the screen, Luke chapter 20. And if you're just jumping in with us, we've been in a series walking through the book of Luke. It'll be a year and a half ending at Easter, and we're really glad you're here to join us in this series. Uh, It's just been a great time together. Luke, what he does is he covers the life of Jesus, the man, the message, the mission. And we are now at the last week before the cross, Holy Week. And so things are getting very, very serious. And, and throughout the book, there have been these religious people that have been interacting with Jesus. And, and really, they're just playing with them. They're, they're, just, they're just playing with them. They're, they're trying to get them to say something theologically off. They're trying to catch him in sin. They're trying to make him look goofy. They're, they're kind of just using him for their fun or, or their own purposes. They don't just dump Jesus. Let's just be done with Jesus. Instead, they they're seem to be always around Jesus, right? I mean, you look at his ministry and they're just always there. There's people that, that Jesus is ministering to and then these people seem to always be there. They're, they're near him, but truthfully, they have no intention of fully giving themselves to Jesus. No intention of submitting to the authority of Jesus. They've just been playing games with Jesus. That's who we're looking at this, this morning. And so here at the, the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, these final days, he arrives into the temple, and in chapters 19 and 20, he calls these guys to task. 
He calls him to task. He starts flipping over tables. He gives very pointed parables. He makes some very specific accusations of these guys. And he calls them to task. And maybe today he kind of calls us to task as well. Now, before we look at the, the text that really is, is the assignment for today, uh, Luke 20, 27 through 47, we're going to look back at 19. So look at 19, and let's see what's happening. Luke 20, 19 through 20. The, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people, and so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. Now this is funny to me because it says these religious elites sought to lay hands on him that very hour. By the way, that's not lay hands like we laid hands on Ryan at his ordination and we prayed over him and commissioned him. That's, that's lay hands as in I want to lay my hands on your throat and kill you, lay hands. They want to kill him because they, they perceived, it says that he had told the parable against him. Now that's funny because he's been telling parables against them his entire ministry. And finally they're like, Hey, he's talking about us. It finally clicks. Let's kill him, right? And so they're ready to to kill him, except they don't kill him yet. Why? You look closely, it says because they feared the people. They were afraid of people. They were fearful of what other people thought about him. There was lots of people who liked Jesus at this point in his ministry. And these religious people didn't want to cause them to revolt. And so they just kept kind of playing with Jesus. Staying as close to him as we can. And and reaping the benefits of him without actually having any intention of submitting to him. Sending spies in to also get close to him. They're just playing with God. But really no intention of fully following him and doing what he calls them to do. And so it's time to sing it, quit playing games. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? We do it because we have no fear of God. We don't have an appropriate fear of God. In fact, who do we fear like them? We fear people. Verse 19, we fear People, rather than having this healthy seriousness about the person and the power and the position of God in our lives. Over the past few Christmases and birthdays, my boys have been uh, collecting all kinds of Nerf guns. And so recently we had a fun afternoon and we went down to the basement and we took one wall and we just put tons of hooks on the wall and we hung up all the guns and now we call it the arsenal. And so we'll go down to the arsenal and get the guns. We have goggles on there because they always get shot in the eye with nerfs. So we, now we have these worker man goggles. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And we'll shoot each other. And I, I have no mercy on my kids. I really don't. I just light them up. I'm going to teach them tough love. And so it's a lot of fun. But during Christmas break, however, we went over the river and through the woods to the grandparents' house out in Western Mass. They got a lot of woods and land out there uh, with their family. And so we were out there and we pulled out big boy guns. And we went out and we, we set up targets. And, and I lectured my boys hard. These are not Nerf guns. And I think they realized. I mean, obviously, the second they saw them, their eyes got big and they got kind of stiff and still. And they, they realized the seriousness that we're not playing around anymore. In fact, one of them was even hesitant to touch them. It took about half our time out in the woods before he was like, uh, okay, I think, 
okay, yeah, okay, I'll shoot. And it was a little 22. We call those pew-pews. Pew-pew. Right? And so we let him uh, shoot a pew-pew. And Proverbs 9, verse 10 says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's wise to be serious about God because he's real and he's powerful. He is God. It's foolish, on the other hand, then, to not be serious with God. It's foolish to play around with God. And even if you don't believe in God, and whenever we gather like this, there's always people who say, I'm here, but I don't believe in God. I don't, I don't buy this stuff. Well, you would still do well to take it seriously because the claims that we read in the Bible, the claims of God are heaven and hell and eternal. It's huge. And so it's worth taking a serious look and investigating. And I believe that there are answers. The Bible says, Jeremiah 29, if you seek me, you will find me. If you search for me with all of your heart. And so let's all, whoever we are, wherever we're at, let's, let's be serious about God for a moment. Now, here's what I want to look at for the remainder of our time together in, in our passage here. Is a few ways that we play with God. I think there are many ways that we play with God. And so I just want to give you three that I see here in the scriptures that we're looking at today. There's just a few here. And the first one is this. If you're a note taker, kind of play this childish game. You're not the boss of me. Anybody's kids ever say that? You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. In other words, you can't tell me what to do. Who do you think you are? And sometimes we play this with God. At the end of chapter 19, again, Jesus comes into the temple. He methodically flips over tables and drives people out of the temple. Again, it wasn't Jesus losing his temper because he sits down. And in his first occasion where he does this, he does this twice. His first occasion, he actually will, he will make a whip. He doesn't grab a whip. Oh, there's a whip. I'll grab. He sits down and makes a whip. Anybody ever gone, 10, 9, breathing so you don't lose your cool he had a long time to make a whip because he was upset this is worth being upset about they are abusing the the temple making an unfair profit off of people who were there just to worship God and so this is a very important occasion in the ministry of Jesus that we oftentimes overlook yes on on one hand Jesus lets the little children come unto him on the same hand, he, he loves the, the marginalized and the oppressed and, and gives great value to women in a culture that didn't give value to women. On the other hand, however, he is one who is holy and full of wrath, rightfully so, at the sin of humanity and the way we are abusing God. On this hand, we also have John falling at the feet of Jesus in the book of Revelation as though dead when he sees the majesty of Jesus. We have the transfiguration when people see Jesus in his glory and he's glowing and it's incredible. We have to hold both of these in balance that he is approachable and authoritative. We have to hold on to both of these realities of Jesus. We have to. So after the temple incident, Beginning in chapter 20, if you look at verse 2, the people then say, tell us by what authority do you do these things? In other words, what gives you the right to come in here and to flip over our tables? You're not the boss of us. And so last week, Pastor David shared on the authority of Jesus in verses 1 through 26. Did an incredible job. Listened to the sermon. It was just, just great. Now this is where we can oftentimes d- dismiss ourselves. 
We can say, well, I don't play you're not the boss of me. My life is submitted to Jesus. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. But really? Fully? Think about this for a second. Jesus, you're not the boss of me until he starts talking about your wallet. That's what's going on with these guys here. There you flip over our money-making system. Or maybe for you it's, you're not the boss of me until you start talking about this particular relationship. Or you're not the boss of me until you start talking about my sex life, about purity. Or you're not the boss of me until you start talking about my career. Or you're not the boss of me until you start calling me out on my pride. Or you're not the boss of me until you start speaking to my gluttony or my comfort. Or we could go on and on and on. You see how maybe it's not blatant rebellion. We're not saying, God, you're not my boss. No, you are my boss. But maybe there's one area in your life where you just won't give him jurisdiction. Jesus, you have authority over everything unless you exercise that authority over something that I don't want you to touch. And so then does he really have authority over everything? No. We're just playing with Jesus. See how that works? We just kind of play with Jesus. It's like those driving school vehicles. You know those? Anybody ever go to driving school? And, and you get in the driver's seat and you've got the steering wheel and the gas and the, the brakes. But on this side over here, the instructor also has the brakes, right? And so it's like, look, Jesus, you're driving. You're in charge. You, you've got the wheel, right? Sing it, Carrie Underwood. Jesus, take the, right? You've got the wheel, Jesus. Good job. You're in control. Except when Jesus goes this way and you want to go this way, and you hit the brakes. See how we do that? We say, I, I don't think so. Psych, I call the shots now. You're playing with Jesus. And again, even if it's not blatant, Jesus, you're not the boss of me. Many times we play this way with Jesus. We just play with him. The problem is he is the boss of you. Whether you submit to his authority or not, he has authority and it would be in your best interest to willingly submit to the authority of Jesus. Please understand this too, that whatever, whatever, whatever he is calling you to is good. Even if it's uncomfortable, it is good. He designed this whole thing, this whole whole thing he designed and he's restoring it back to his original plan he's bringing you back in line with his good plan even if you can't understand it and so sometimes we play with God by saying God you're not the boss and we question or determine his authority over our lives another way we play with God is I'll just say it this way blah 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 my kids have been known to do this, not to me, but to each other. Sometimes one of them is saying something they don't want to hear, so they cover their ears and they just go, blah, 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 or they'll just sing a song or say something else, and it drives the other one crazy. I mean, just absolutely crazy. Look at uh, 2027 with me. 2027, it says, There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. 
Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. Okay, so here's some more religious people again coming to Jesus. These are the Sadducees. They are a religious Jewish sect who deny the resurrection. Acts chapter 23 will tell us about them, that they didn't believe in angels or spirits and hear the resurrection or being alive again, heaven. And, and I've heard it said, they don't believe in heaven, and that's why they're so sad, you see. And that's why they call them the Sadducees, so we can learn that and help us out there. Now, compared to the Pharisees who did believe in these things that the Sadducees didn't believe, and the Sadducees compared to the Pharisees were just this tiny, tiny little group. However, they were incredibly powerful because they were the chief priests, they were aristocrats, they were wealthy, powerful people. And so compared to the Pharisees who were just ordinary men, but there were lots of them, the Sadducees made up the majority of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, and they were very, very powerful. And they too like the Pharisees, as we've seen all along, are playing games with, with Jesus. So they come up to Jesus and they ask him about heaven. Now, do they believe in heaven? We know that already. No, they don't believe in heaven. So they're just kind of messing around with Jesus. They're just playing with Jesus. They remind Jesus of how in Deuteronomy chapter 25, Moses says in the law, he says, if your brother dies, so put yourself in their shoes, if you're married, and, and, and your brother dies and leaves behind a widow with no kids to to come around her and take care of her, you've got to marry her, care for her, provide offspring for her and for your your brother. So some of you are like, whew, thank God I'm not a Jew, (laughs) right? Because my brother's wife would be crazy, right? So the Sadducees say, okay, so, okay, that's the law, right? So what if brother number two dies? And so number three marries her. And then number three dies. And so number four to number five to number six to number seven, hypothetically speaking. First, I got to say, whoa, stay away from that woman, right? Like, she's killing them. <laughs> little accident in the kitchen, right? Fell off the donkey. Yeah, right. This woman's crazy. Now, their question is, okay, so when you get to heaven, whose wife is she, Jesus? They're going to they're gonna stick it to Jesus. They're going to catch him, right? He's going to say something dumb, say something theologically off. Whose wife is she? I mean, just thinking about this. If I die and I go to be with the Lord and I'm confident that that's going to happen, I'll be so psyched later when my wife comes in and she walks through those pearly gates with her arms around some other man, I'm telling you. Hey, Becky, who's that? <laughs> I mean, it would be kind of hard, right? But I don't think these guys are sincere about this. In fact, read on with me. 34. It says, And Jesus said to them, the, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But the dead are raised even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob present. Now he is not God of the dead but of the living for all live to him. And then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well for they no longer dared to ask him any question. So Jesus answers this wives dilemma here. He says, here's the deal. It doesn't matter because nobody's married in heaven. It's not what you're concerned about. Right? In heaven, you're psyched to see, not your wife, you're psyched to see 
Jesus, right? And so some of you are bummed. Oh, man, others of you are like, freedom, right? I'll say this, seriously, though, seriously, joking, but seriously, marriage is momentary. There's an amazing book, This Momentary Marriage, that you need to get your hands on. But listen, no matter how bad your marriage is, life is short. And marriage is not just about your happiness. Marriage is about you reflecting to the world the unconditional love of Jesus, plus there's some perks. Paul says, that's the mystery of marriage. The love that Christ has for his church. So no matter how bad your marriage may be or get, don't bail. Don't bail. Just a side note there. But what are the Sadducees ultimately trying to do? They're trying to disprove Jesus. There can't be an afterlife because that creates some problems like lots of wives. So Jesus answers their question and then he shows them in their Bible, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about resurrection. There is an afterlife. You should believe in an afterlife, Sadducees, even though you don't, because it's right there in your Bible. And in verse 37, he reminds them that Moses said of, uh, of God at the, at the bush, he says, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob present, referring to them as alive even though they had already died. He's saying, see, there is a resurrection. You're interpreting the scriptures wrong. Jesus is saying, you need to get this. There is a resurrection. Now, verses 38 and 39, they then commend Jesus. Okay, well done, well played. Good answer, I like that. Okay, and so then what? They become Christians? They start to follow Jesus? No, they just don't ask questions anymore so as not to be embarrassed. Jesus gives them a great answer, a sufficient answer, one that they agree is sufficient, but they still don't follow. Why? Because they don't care. They're just messing around with Jesus. They're just talking, blah, 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 filibuster questions, but they don't have any intention of listening and trying to hear. Now, let me be very clear here. Question Jesus if you have questions. You should ask them. It's a good thing. Abraham asked questions of God in a very humble way, like, how dare I approach you, Lord, but can I ask you a question? And so he asked a question. But these guys, they didn't even want answers. They just wanted to trap Jesus. They just really wanted to avoid obedience, so they changed the subject here. And that could be many of us. We can kind of get hung up on things sometimes, kind of get caught up on some things But could it be the real problem is that we don't want to get serious about Jesus? I'm telling you, I've been around long enough. I've seen a lot of repetition of cycles and things and how they work in in, in church life and among believers. And oftentimes people will get hung up on issues in order to avoid greater issues of their own heart. It happens all the time. This is how a lot of church hopping happens, actually. People go from one church to the next, to the next, to the next, and they'll maybe blame it on a leadership with, or an issue with the leadership or this or that, when maybe it's their own unwillingness to obey the Lord. Maybe that leader even called them out on something that they don't want to deal with, and so they check, go to the next church, to the next church until things get called out. Again, that's, that's one thing that happens. Or sometimes people just get so cause-focused. 
That they, they fail to see their heart struggle with regards to Jesus. I think that's what happened in the, the 70s, 80s with all the moral, political preachers out there, right? 70s, 80s, 90s. They had a cause. We're going to make America moral again. But underneath, there were some major heart issues among a lot of these guys. Not all, but a lot of these guys. So all these guys are on TV. Next thing you know, you find out they're embezzling money. They're sleeping with their secretaries. One guy's hooking up with men in the, the, the airport bathroom on his way to some moral political rally. Are you serious? And these causes are hiding deeper heart issues. So that you're talking and you're complaining but not listening to God. Blah, 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 blah. So what does Jesus do? He says, I want to tell you something. Look at verses 41 through 44. But he said to them, how can they say that Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? So, he says, let me tell you something. They're, they're so hung up on this issue of, of heaven and wives. And, and Jesus says, let me remind you. David called me Lord. Your King David called me Lord. So what are you going to do with me? That's the real issue, he says to them. What, what are you going to do with me? Are you going to listen? Are you going to give your life to me? Or is it going to be all these other issues out here? that are distracting you from the main issue. What are you going to do with me? So that's a way that we play with God. Let me give you one more way that we play with God. We play dress up. Anybody? Read with me 45 through 47. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive greater condemnation. This time, Jesus isn't talking to the religious leaders. Instead, he's talking about the religious leaders to everybody else. He says, I want to warn you to watch out for these guys over here. I want to warn you. Beware of the scribes, which makes them so angry. And that's what really these things start to tip them off so that now they're ready to kill him. And they conspire the rest of the week as to how they're going to kill Jesus. He says, let me warn you. Beware of these guys. They love to wear their religious garments. Other uh, uh, accounts of this story say that they love to wear their garments with these great tassels. And they, they love that. They love to dress the part. They, they, they love to, to, to be in public places and people come up to them and see what they're wearing and see how they're talking and say, oh, hello, sir. And I'm so impressed with you. And they, they love when people are impressed with their religiosity. It says they, they love to get uh, the, the reserved seat at the synagogue. They, they, they love when they go to weddings and they get a special table. They, they love to pray long, impressive prayers that make you go, ooh, they are good. Praise the Lord. But Jesus then proceeds to show them how all that external stuff doesn't reflect the internal, their their heart. All this holy looking living 
is not really indicative of a holy heart by any stretch. How does he point this out? He reminds them, these men are devouring widows' houses. Now, we don't fully know what they, that, that looked like. These guys were legal experts. Maybe they became executors of the estates of these women when their husbands passed and then somehow acquired them and, and built their own little real estate empires. We have no idea exactly what that looks like. But what we do know is that Jesus is pointing out the inconsistency with all the way they dress and the seats that they sit in and the way they pray to what's actually happening where nobody else sees. They're, they're devouring widows' houses. And it all just comes back to the heart. Religion without heart change means nothing. 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 Jesus' little brother James says it this way in James chapter 127. He says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. If you're really religious in a way that's pure to the Lord, it's going to cause you to love these people, not devour these people's houses and steal from them. Like most kids, my daughter loves to dress up. She loves it, and she's the sweetest. And uh, she's got a few baskets in our basement, our playroom, where she's got all kinds of dress-up clothes and boas and hats and shoes and all that kind of stuff, and she gets those things going lets her imagination run wild. And her favorite thing is to dress up like a princess. The problem is, is that when she dresses up like a princess, she gets really bossy, <laughs> and she just starts bossing everybody around. And, and we're not going to tolerate that. We have to remind her, sweetheart, you're not really a princess. I mean, you're my princess. And her brother one time tried to make a theological case for it because he's a little sharp dude. And he says, well, actually, if God is king, and the Bible also says that we are his sons and daughters, that makes her a princess. She is a princess. And now she likes to remind me theologically, well, pastor dad, actually, I am a princess. But you can't make claims, sweetheart, and order us around by order of the throne because you're dressed like a princess. And, 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 and this is where the scribes were. They're, they're dressing the part, but it's not reflective of what's actually true. And perhaps that's where some of us are at. We look the part. It's church attendance. It's the occasional prayer. It's maybe good behavior, doing right things, not doing wrong things in general. Maybe, maybe we're dressing the part, but Jesus is telling us it's possible to do all of those things but still actually be playing with God. That your heart is not really set on him. Now obviously, you can do all of these things, all of these things with motivation other than God. You, you, you can do these things with motivation. I want to provide a, a family support structure by going to church. It would be good for my kids. I'm going to go to church to find friends. I'm going to it's something to do on, on Sunday. It makes me feel good about myself or it's it morality or, or I'm going to pray to feel like I'm, I'm saying hi to the man upstairs or, or I'm going to do good things and it, I'm a good person. And, and we can do all of these things and really have wrong motives. And reality is if it's not done for Jesus, with the heart of Jesus, whatever you say, I'm, I'm here for you as we open our are gathering up. It's all about you. You may be playing games with God. Except God cannot be fooled. You know who can be fooled is us. We can fool ourselves. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. 
And so this is a great time to, to, to slow down. Can we slow down for the next few moments and just start to search our own hearts? Can we pray that great prayer of David, God, search my heart. Show me the wicked way within me. They, they might see me and think, wow, holy, living for Jesus. But, but God, you, you know my heart. You search my heart. You show me, God. God is holy. God is holy. And we need an appropriate, healthy fear of him. Where it doesn't matter what they think. I'm not doing this for them. I'm doing this for him. And I'm not going to play games with you anymore, God. Show me. Search me. You know my heart. God, what, what is it, God? Am I playing dress up? Do I, I look the part, but really it's, it's not reflective of my heart? Or God, am I, am I covering up my, my ears? I don't want to hear you. I'm just going to kind of get hung up on other things. But there's some, some things in my life that I just don't want to, I don't want to hear that, that I know you speak to. I know the Bible speaks to that. Or, or maybe you're playing, God, you're not the boss of me. God, you have all of me except for this. You have jurisdiction over everything except this little corner of the map of my life right here. This is mine. Don't touch I don't know what it looks like for you, but, but can we just, let's take a moment. Would you close your eyes? Let's close our eyes and, and can we just sit still and in silence for a moment and just invite God to, to search us. Don't play around with God. so easy for church life and coming to this to just kind of be a weekly check-in or maybe weekly you're convicted but then it's easy to walk out the doors and forget about what you were feeling the conviction that was happening in your heart and so you never deal you just keep playing the game so i want to give you just space to deal with maybe some conviction that you're feeling Jesus flips over tables, upset, says, my house should be a house of prayer. And so let's do that. Let's, let's pray. Let's talk to him. I want to give you some space now. I'll pray in just a minute, but some space to talk to God. You need to confess some sin. Maybe you need to allow your mind to go some places that you've been avoiding thinking about. Because truth is, you know that God's word speaks to it. God, would you search our hearts? Show us if there be any wicked way within us. Lead us in the way everlasting. Because your way and your authority over our lives is 
is only good. Even if, if it's uncomfortable, it's only good. You designed this whole thing, God. You know what's best for us. And so, God, would, would we be a people who, who walk in step with your authority, knowing that you're the good master? So, good master, good, good father, good king, reign supreme over our hearts and lives. Grip our hearts so that we might be submissive to you and stop playing games with you. I thank you that you love us and everything you call us to is for our good and for your purposes. Do your work, Father, among us. Where we respond in singing and continued prayer. I invite you to move in Jesus' name.